Hi, this is Shauna. Before we get to today's guest, I want to take a minute to learn more about you, the listener. We've put together a short survey at fueltalent.com slash podcast to gather information on who's listening and to give you a chance to make suggestions and comments about the show. I want What Fuels You to be a great resource for you and your interests, and I hope these interviews give you practical advice along with inspiration for your career and life. Help us continue to serve you better by going to fueltalent.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. Now let's start today's show. Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Derek Morton. Derek is the co-founder and CEO of Seattle-based Flowplay and has been an entrepreneur, leader, and innovator in the digital entertainment industry for more than 25 years. At the helm of Flowplay for the last 15 years, he has established the company as the creator of the industry's most powerful immersive gaming platform, driving product innovation to build the engaging multiplayer social casino that captures the attention of 75 million users worldwide. Derek has identified new opportunities in untapped markets, including free-to-play sports betting and fantasy sports gaming. Over time, Derek has spearheaded the development of more than 200 digital entertainment projects. Welcome, Derek. So good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Great to be here. I always say, I'm like, I don't know why I say us. I'm joining me. <laughs> it's the world. We're jo- the I'm joining world. the world. We're joining our listeners. Um, okay, I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire to to start us off. Um, okay, super great. curious, which of these games is your favorite? I'm sure you ask this all the time. Oh man. Oh, which of which of our games? Yeah, your games. Oh gosh, they're 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 each a baby. Similarity. It's like comparing children, right? Well, I mean, my current baby that I think is kind of the future of the company, we just launched a Hard Rock World Tour. Uh, it's a partnership with Hard Rock Hotels and Casinos, launched it on Monday. Ooh. So it's a, it's a pretty important partnership for us. And I think it sort of reflects where we think the company's going in terms of doing partnerships with uh, big land-based casinos and doing social casinos for them. And very we're, we're cool. trying to bridge that gap between uh, what you do online and what you do on uh, on land. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, okay. I know you're a musician, so I'm curious who yes. your favorite band is. Oh, my God. Um, well, this will date me. Uh, I guess like Talking Heads is one of my favorite bands um, in terms of my favorite albums and things. Um, uh I'm, I'm seeing Billie Eilish on Friday. Oh, that's awesome. I, I actually got invited to that concert, but I can't go. Um, but that'll be great. She's yeah. she's talented. So speaking of concerts, um, what was your favorite concert you've ever attended? 
Oh my God! Uh, you should have you should have warmed me up with these. No, these are these are these are rapid fire. But you can take a pause. We can always uh, edit. We can always uh, edit our podcast. Twenty One Pilots puts on an amazing show. So one of my favorite shows, and I've seen them three times, and all three times they were they were great. Oh, that's great! I I need to listen. I don't know who that is, and I should. Right. I feel I feel like um whenever music comes up or anything that's like cool that I don't know, and I always think I'm slightly cool. I'm like, uh oh. There's a gap here. I need to look into it. Um, Any band that's come up in the past 10 years, I was introduced to by my kids. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you play board games? Uh, I do play a lot of board games. And so which one's, which one's your favorite board game? Um, our go-to is, um, oh God, Croissant is one that, that's, uh, that's super fun. And everybody, it's easy to learn and easy to play. Yeah. Um, What is the uh, the other German one? Oh. Oh, I don't know. Have you ever played Cranium? I had uh, Richard Tate on here, the founder of Cranium. That's a fun game. It's a fun game. It's not. Uh-oh. It's not you can't be competitive and, and, and kick the butt of the other yeah. player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So if you could be famous, I'm guessing I know the answer to this, but I'm curious. If you could be a famous rock star, movie star, athlete, gamer, or writer, which one would you choose? Ooh, uh, probably rock star, although rock stars really have terrible lives. <laughs> I know. And you would be the guitarist? Uh, yeah, I've been the front man. This was nice. my, most of my, um, my band experience, front man, guitar player. So you can sing? I, I, I can a bit, yeah. And do you have a good karaoke go-to song? uh um yes born to be wild is, nice. is my, I guess my go-to yeah awesome I always <laughs> like to try to remember to put those in my notes because when it comes time and you're ready to karaoke yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah. oh what's my karaoke song so I think it's a good thing to have um okay so if you could have any superpower which one would you choose I'd like to fly nice so that you could just like go the feeling of flying or so you could travel I don't like being in traffic. Yeah, so I, so I can just go somewhere with complete freedom yeah. and not have to depend on other people. Yeah. Okay, final question. I know you're a big backpacker and you go on these solitude uh, and fun, cool excursions and trips. Um, where is your favorite place to go backpacking? Mount Rainier. This is you, great. Is that where you go every time? Not every time, no. Uh, but I've been there a lot. Uh, I've done the Wonderland Trail that goes around Mount Rainier twice. Um, and so how long is that? 83 miles. Oh my gosh. Wait, yeah. what? And so you're just like sleeping along the way. It's flat. Yep. No, it's 27,000 feet elevation gain. So you, you actually gained enough altitude to climb Mount Everest from sea level. Oh my gosh. And you've, you've summited, right? I've tried to summit twice and got turned back by weather both times. Oh my gosh. We have good friends who have summited, but I know a lot of people who have gotten turned away with weather. That's got to be just painful. All the training and but still an incredible and bonding experience. Um, okay, so where did you learn to, I guess, um, your interest in the outdoors? Where are you from? Where were you raised? Boy, I, I, I'm an Air Force brat, so I lived all over. I lived in Germany until I was six. Uh, then we moved back to Texas, and then I moved to Alaska. So I guess my love of the outdoors really came about of living in Alaska. I had a snowmobile. So as a, as a young kid, I was like, you know, 10 years old and I could hop on my snowmobile and just 
take off into the woods and go see caribou and moose and all kinds of wildlife. And we lived on the edge of the big woods. So uh, that was probably what, what really uh, kicked it off. Yeah. And did you, um, I guess, play any sort of sports or like, how did you spend your free time outside of school and snowmobiling? Um, really playing music. That, that, that was my, my one thing I did consistently from like the time I was 10 years old was just play guitar and hang out in my room and, you know, yeah. try and learn people's songs. I always love hearing like how people ended up learning it because I've tried to create musicians out of my kids and my husband plays guitar, but none of my kids play an instrument. And I just think it's such an incredible talent. And I see my husband, he uses it as like a true escape, you know, if he just wants to chill out. And it seems like the best way to do that. It's like meditation because you're, you're just focused on what you're playing. And so everything else sort of goes away. Yeah. And how do you learn music? Like what's your, what's your approach to it? Uh, I download tabs, tabs of these, this tablature. It's like the, the, the way of putting guitar notes on paper. So mm. I, I download songs that I want to learn and then I listen to them on Spotify and, you know. Yeah. That's the newer way. When you were in, when you were young, what were you doing? How were you? Oh, I was just having to listen to them on the radio or something, you know, and then I yeah. would have to sort of figure it out. Yeah, I just think that's that really is just like to me such a talent. And were there musicians in your family? No, not really. Um, yeah, nobody in my family was a musician. In yeah. fact, they, are you they, an only? Are you an only child, or you have siblings? No, uh, I'm the oldest of five, but I'm, oh, I'm still wow. the only only musician. Wow. And, and are you, um, is everyone else um, doing various things or have they pursued kind of business opportunities like you have? Uh, I'm the only one of the five that didn't went to college. My, both my parents didn't even finish high school. Uh, oh, so. wow. So these are the stories I love. This is the podcast like energy I get from hearing people that are like, okay, see me now. This is probably, you don't know like how, where people started and how they ended up and all mm -hmm. the influences along the way. So your parents didn't graduate high school, and where are they from? Uh, my mother was from Texas. My dad was from Michigan. Uh, he joined the Air Force when he was, you know, a senior in high school, and then met my mom when he was stationed in uh, San Antonio. And so, where did the value of, I guess, education come from for you personally? Part of it was I was always really good in school, and I didn't have to work that hard at it. Um, so. I, I just knew that a, a, you know formal education was going to be good for me and that it wouldn't be hard for yeah. me. Yeah. And how did you, did you end up getting a scholarship or did you work or how did you pay for it? Because USC is expensive. Yeah, I did. I got a full scholarship to USC. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And how did you know that that's what you wanted to pursue? I know you studied motion picture production, obviously the best place to do it. Yeah. Uh, well... <laughs> I, I actually didn't go to college until I was 25. Uh, so I was going to be a rock star, but that was what was going to happen, right? And then uh, along around 25, um, the big event that really changed things was my, my mother passed away. And it sent me into this sort of like, whoa, uh, what, what, am I, what's my, what, am I, what am I doing here? What's my life about? Uh, gave me a, a real sense of mortality because she was only 44. How did she pass away? car accident oh god the result the, so the, the, the event it, she didn't die right away but um she got received <clears throat> excuse me really severe injuries uh that eventually uh, killed her yeah oh that's painful and those types of things do force you to kind of take stock and figure it out and so in your pursuit of becoming 
a rock star, what is that like? You're playing gigs all over or you're trying to find an agent or how, what does that mean when you say you were trying to become a rock star? Well, I was, you know, had a band, we made an album, made a couple records, uh, we're put, giving those to, uh, to record labels, trying to get signed to a record label, never happened. And then, like I said, at, at 25, I sort of re-examined everything and said, you know what, I, I need to go to college. So, so, so you were mom, in the classroom with like 18 year olds, you're 25. <laughs> yeah. And my mom died in April and I was back in school in September. Wow. I'm sure she would have been <laughs> so proud of you. And what was your dad's take? Was he kind of like, why are you, what did he want for you? Or was that not a clear message? It, it, he didn't get it at all. Like, yeah. He was like, what are you doing? I, Go make some yeah, money. What, what's, what's the point? Go get a job. <laughs> yeah. How did you um, know kind of how to navigate that? Did you have anybody kind of mentoring you or leading you. A lot of kids are like, you know, especially today have the helicopter parents with the tutors and the counselors like showing them the way. Yeah, I think that was part of the issue. Uh, growing up, I really didn't have any role models around uh, higher education or being part of the business world or anything like that. Um, I certainly didn't know anybody that was a computer programmer or made video games or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. And are your um, siblings, I guess, and your friends from childhood surprised to see where you've ended up? Or is it like, oh, yeah, we always had our money on this guy? Um, <clears throat> I think my family always figured something was going to happen. Um, my brother tells me all the time, oh, yeah, I always knew you're going to be a big deal, whatever. Um, friends, probably not so much because, you know, there was a side of myself that I never showed to my friends because I didn't, I wanted to be cool and didn't of want course. to be a nerd, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think it's amazing when you hear about schools where it is like actually cool to be super smart and curious. And when I hear about kids dumbing themselves down, which you hear about all the time, yeah. it's just crushing. Um, I, I was guilty of that. Yeah, I'm sure. And so you pursued school at 25, went to USC. Were you thinking like, hey, I'm going to pivot here and go into film production? Oh, yeah, I wanted that was my next big thing. So I, if I wasn't going to be a rock star, I was going to be Steven Spielberg. Right. A <laughs> <laughs> dream big. I love it. Did you go straight from there to get I just kind of when I was researching you, um, I know you went back and got an MBA. Was that straight out of USC? No, uh, so I got a uh, bachelor's degree and then a master's degree from USC, uh, and then went and started, you know, working. Um, okay, I was trying to then, figure out that timeline because I know you worked for many years in Los Angeles in production and product yep. and marketing, but I couldn't figure out where in there was the MBA. And then my my reason for even being curious is I was just like, why? Like some people when they go back and and get an MBA are because they just don't know what else to do. Others are like, hey, I need this for my career. I need the network. What was, what was the impetus for you? So yeah, I, I didn't start my MBA program until 10 years after I got my master's degree from SE in film production. Uh, and it was mostly because at all the jobs I had, uh, I was seen as like, okay, yeah, Derek, you're the creative guy, but um, you know, and I kind of rose to the limit of where I could get to as a creative in the organizations I was in. Uh, and so nobody took me seriously as like right, the guy the who knew guy. the P and L or anything like yeah. that, right? Yeah. Do you still feel like that's your weak spot, or have you just learned it? Or you, you know, like for me, that's always been um, like, God, I should have probably gotten an MBA because still I have to have someone explain my P and L to me every month, and I'm like, <laughs> it's a, it's a weak spot. But I'm like, well, whatever. I just double down on where I'm strong. But how do you feel now, this many years into your career? Well. 
after being a CEO for 15 years, I, I pretty much have it down now. Uh, yeah. I, when I was when I was green and raw and just starting my company, yeah, I I, I needed help figuring it out. But uh, 15 years later, I'm, I'm you know it's my yeah. it's my thing. Yeah, it's your thing. So you stayed in there a little while in Irvine after you graduated, right? After yeah. you finished your MBA. Uh huh. Um, and tell me about some of these companies that you worked for as far as. Um, the successes and the kind of like, oh, this isn't the right company for me. I know you had several that were like a couple years, a couple years. I see that through the lens of a recruiter, which is either that sure. you're getting recruited out or you're just like unsatisfied. Yeah, so uh, my, my first big break was uh, going to work for a company called Graphic Zone. Graphic Zone was started by Warner Brothers in the early 90s yeah. uh, with, with the vision to um, make all music interactive. So it was sort of the perfect thing for me. They were they're were they working with bands to make uh, interactive CDs where you could explore the band's background, explore um, them personally, see their homes. So we did one with Prince. We did one oh with Bob, Bob Dylan. Prince is top five for me. I would have like <clears throat> died for that. Yeah. Um, and so we were doing all these. I, I got to tour with Willie Nelson for two weeks to, to do one on him. So it was it was super fun and super engaging, but. And the company actually went public, and I was the VP of production, so I, I ran all of the actual production of the projects. Uh, but by 1999, though, once the internet started coming along, uh, nobody really needed CD-ROMs of music interactive. You could just get all that interactive stuff online. Uh, so that company actually went out of business in 1999, yeah. so, I had, so I had to find a new gig. Uh, and the next one was this company called iWin, which is doing some really fun stuff. Um, they were a game company, but really sort of more of an advertising-based game company. Uh, we became the sixth most trafficked website in the world because we were selling and buying clicks like crazy. They raised like wow. $25 million. It was the go-go internet days. Yeah. And that, yeah. Was in, that was in Los Angeles, right? So you yes, moved out there to Los Angeles. And so how, what was your job search process like? Were you strategic about it? Like, hey, this is what I want to do. And these are the top 10 companies that do it. Or was it like, hey, I was sitting there at a restaurant and I met this guy who suddenly started talking. Like, I just always love hearing how people's lives have unfolded. It, it, it's sort of crazy. I've never interviewed for a job where somebody hadn't called me up and said, hey, you should check out this job at my company it has an opening for, you know, a friend of a friend or a direct friend. So yeah. I've, I've never sent in a resume blind to a company. So mostly and, getting referred in, not getting recruited by a recruiter, but more like, hey, I got a guy who knows another guy and we think you'd be perfect for this. Yes. Wow. And have you ever not gotten a job that you've wanted? Um, I'm sure I haven't gotten a job that I've wanted, but I don't recall. It's been a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's been over 20 years since I had to really had had to to interview, interview yeah. for a job. My, my career has <laughs> been the same as yours. Like I've never actually interviewed for a job or sent in a resume. Yeah. Um, it's been like someone knows me or got recruited. So yeah, that totally makes sense. And it's funny because you hear these stories and I'm like, first of all, why are you going in cold? I'm like, right. it's never a good idea. Find somebody. Um, find somebody or something or write something creative to the CEO or someone to make yourself stand out because it's super tough. Um, and so over time, I know that you worked. Um, so Vivendi, tell me about that company. Oh, wow. So uh, the company I described to you, Iwin, was purchased yeah. by... 
a company called Uproar, but very quickly on the heels of that was purchased by Vivendi. So Vivendi, oh, so those were acquisitions. Yeah, I read about all of them. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's why the, the series of what looks like job changes was really just acquisitions. Okay, got it. So you were part of that where um, starting to go to a new company. And what was your experience like as an employee as far as experiencing that culture-wise? Like sometimes employees are like, uh-oh, things are going to change. My boss is going to change or they may do layoffs or I don't like the new leadership. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't like working for large companies. I like working for startups and small companies. Uh, yeah. I like I like having ownership over more things. I like, um, you know, knowing the people that are making the decisions and having some input on those decisions. And once we were bought by Vivendi, literally there, people in Paris were deciding what we should do. Right. <laughs> totally out of touch with exactly right. what's going on in the business. Yeah. I mean, there were, Vivendi is a water company in France yeah. and they started just buying up all kinds of, you know, entertainment assets and they had no idea what to do with them. Yeah, those stories are always interesting. And so Game House um, was kind of the next stop. Yeah, so um, I was licensing games from Game House. They were, uh, you know, a super cool studio up here in Seattle, about 15 people at the time. Uh, and um, I really enjoyed working with the guys. In fact, Ron from Game House, I'm going to see next week in Palm Springs. We were super great friends. Uh, so Ron mentioned that, you know, they might need some help in, in marketing and actually switching from a, a, a B2B business to a B2C business. So I said, yeah, man, I'm out of here. Get me, get me away from Vivendi. How did you know him to begin <clears throat> with? Like you're in LA, he's in Seattle. How did you I was licensing games from them. I had met him at a conference. You just met him at a conference. Okay. And so, so, we're, so we were doing business together. And I also wanted to get out of LA. My kids were starting to be, were starting to hit the age where they'd be go to, going to public school and the public school options in LA were not very good. Yeah. Uh, so, so were you targeting, was it a game house created the opportunity for Seattle or was it like it all aligned because Seattle fit like a city where you'd want to raise kids? Well, my wife's actually from Seattle as well. Oh, so nice. So it's it, a win-win-win. It, really win. it, it really yeah. fit. It really That's fit. perfect. And so if I research properly, it sounds like then Game House was acquired by um, Real Networks. Yep. So another acquisition. Real yep. Networks, obviously a very famous Seattle company with lots of leaders coming out. There's a whole article written a, you know, a few years ago about it. What was your take on your experience at Real Networks? Honestly? Yeah. Well, be careful. You're on a podcast. But at least my mom might listen. I don't know who else is going to listen. Maybe your, maybe your family. I mean, it was another experience where, um, you know, I was no longer the startup. So yeah, just, just at that level, it was not right. as fun for me. And yeah. it also turned out that I became the one and from Game House who was doing all the reporting in to the, to the mothership. Ah, uh, um, you're so, like, I don't really want to do that job. So, and, and, uh, you know, those, I'm not sure what you know about real networks and its operations, but the, there can be some some brutal meetings. Well, so I've heard that, and that's why I'm curious. And I have had some people on the podcast out of real networks, and it sounds like it was a little bit of like those were the good old days, early days, but also the culture sounds pretty intense. Um, and so I think as you're forming a company, you know, you're thinking about those experiences. Like, I want to create a company that I would want to work at. <laughs> That's you know a, what I mean? It's exactly what uh, my partner and I, Doug, dis discussed. Is like, we're okay when we start this business. Yeah. How do we, how do we make it a place where we want to work? 
Yeah. Well, I love the stuff that I read about your culture. I think you've done an incredible job at Flow Play of, of creating um, a sticky culture where people want to stay and you've had an amazing tenure. Um, but before we get into that, I'm curious about the idea. So you mentioned Doug, your co-founder, Doug Pearson. Yep. Um, yeah, so how, how did you guys know each other? How did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so while working at Game House, um, Microsoft contacted us and we're curious about if we would be willing to make take one of our uh, small games we made for the internet and put it on a phone for them. They were they had this nascent uh, phone device and phone operating software that they wanted to launch, but they wanted to launch it with a game on it. Mm. Uh, so so and this is nobody really making mobile games at that time. Right. Uh, and we didn't know what to do, but we had heard about this guy, Doug, Doug Pearson, really smart PhD, could probably figure out anything. And so we hired him to make this game for us called Bounce Out. Uh, he did an amazing job. And so once Real Networks bought us, based on that, they made me head of, head of mobile games. So I started you know, being in charge of making mobile games for Real Networks. And Doug was the natural person to go to to uh, start doing the, the, the outsource production because we didn't have a team yet. So everything was outsourced. Uh, and Doug and his team built about a dozen games for us. And um, <clears throat> from that experience, I just realized that Doug would be the perfect guy to, um, you know, to start a company with. And I had yeah. a three-year, I had a three-year earnout. And so two years into that, I approached Doug and said, "Hey, would you want to start a company with me? I got, I got a year before I'm uh, looking for something else to do besides real networks." Yeah, um, and you know, you hear a lot of stories about co-founders who don't vet each other properly as far as thinking big picture, like, "What do we both want out of this? What's our work style?" How do we, you know, resolve conflict? Just all of the kind of almost like personality assessments. Did you guys go through any sort of vetting of that? Or was it just like, this is my skill set, this is yours, and we're good to go? Well, we'd known each other for over a year by that time. And so we kind of knew each other's capabilities. I knew that he was, you know, capable of anything from a technology perspective. And he knew that I was, you know, a business guy and could figure things out on the business side and sort of manage that. And it was something he didn't really enjoy doing. Mm. Uh, he was he was running his own company, but it wasn't the part of the business that he liked to deal with. Right. But the complementary skill set part is, is the part that I was saying yes. most likely you've already dealt with. But what about all of the assessments of each other's, you know, ability to weather the storm of like the feeling of a startup and just stomach it? And, you know, are our spouses and our families on board with this? And what's our appetite for risk? Just all of the things that you go through as a startup. So we met once a week for a year before we started Flowplay, mm -hmm. uh, just to just to talk this kind of stuff out. Like like what what kind of company do we want to have? What do we want to make? What are the market opportunities? And I think you know I don't we probably didn't quiz each other uh, right. speci specifically about uh, personality issues or what, what what he was good at, and what I was good at. But you know that you learn that stuff along the way. Yeah, just how to deal with conflict resolution and all it, that. And so walk me through those early days of Flowplay. Like, how did you come up? I love the name. How did you come up with the, with the name? Well, there's a very famous book called Flow. And I happened yes. to be reading it right at the time that we were looking for a name for the company. Uh, and so it just sort of came together. We were testing out all kinds of names. There's a spreadsheet somewhere of like, you know, all the crazy names and like, is the domain available? Totally. How much is the domain? All this stuff that you do when you're trying to come up with a name. Who's yeah. trademarked what? And so was uh, and this one just available, flowplay.com? It was. 
That's less. lucky. Well, I guess your early days, your company's yeah. been around for a little while, but still, like that's it's such a cool name. And so, yeah, how did you? I don't go think about- we had to pay for it. <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't have to play, pay for fuel talent either, which is like shocking. We literally tested like hundreds of names. And so, how did you fund the business originally? Well, because of the uh, the couple of acquisitions I've been through, uh, I had a little bit of a you know a war chest of my own. Uh, and Doug did as well. So we pulled together $100,000 of our own money just to kick it off. Mm-hmm. And and then um, I knew, you know, I, I'd started, started warming people up for helping me raise some funding during that year period before we actually started the company. And so I had a couple of people teed up to, to invest in us uh, in, in this right from the start. Yeah. Uh, so, so within the first, within the first six months, we probably raised a half million dollars. Wow, that's amazing. And what was the original idea and business model? Um, what we saw in the market was that there were these things called virtual currencies, these things called virtual goods, mostly in like places like Korea and, and China. What They weren't very big in the U.S. yet in 2006. Uh, and also, you know, people interacting in virtual worlds. Uh, so we wanted to, we felt like we, if we came up with a product that sort of combined those things and where you also played games. So Second Life was around at the time, but there wasn't much to do in Second Life. You, you could go and you could explore and you could see people, but you didn't, you couldn't play games there. And we felt like that was a big missing component. Uh, so we felt like if you put games in a virtual world um, with things to dress up in and have your own apartment, things like that, that <laughs> it'd, it'd be something incredible. Well, apparently 75 million other people agree. So <laughs> something, you were on to something. And so what's the business model as far as how you make money? Uh, we sell virtual goods. So originally you, you would buy hairdos, you would buy clothing. We had, uh, eventually we had 70,000 different things you could buy in our kids game called Our World. Uh, and they bought, you know, shoes, yeah. outfits, angel wings, halos. You know, oh, that's awesome. Our stuff. world was the first game, right? And it then, was. And then followed a, four years later with Vegas World. Uh-huh. And so yep. how did you decide kind of what areas, were you just kind of watching the market and figuring out what was hot? Or, um, it, I mean, you were leading the way. Like, how did you decide to go into Vegas World? Um. I had managed a product in the late 90s and early 2000s called Virtual Vegas, uh, virtualvegas.com. And it was super popular, did really well. Uh, and so I figured that was, a, a for what we were doing, a really good audience to sort of go back to. It, it, it didn't have a virtual world, but it was very chat-oriented. So mm-hmm. I knew that if you, if you had a, um, you know, this, this virtual Vegas was you played slots, you played blackjack and poker, but you played with a, with a little thumbnail avatar and you had chat bubbles and all this thing. So I, I figured yeah. it'd be a good audience for us to, to take a game to because that was successful. Yeah. And I know that you reached profitability even before that. Um, our world was profitable, right? Because you, that's awesome. Break even. <laughs> well, break even. And then, and then eventually uh, got some profitability. And so yeah. tell me a little bit about the flow play community through some of these games. I mean, getting into also fantasy sports and now dragon chain and all the different things that you've done, like yeah. are, are these communities um, kind of parsed out or do they all overlap? Do people just like gamers or gamers? Are they certain ones kind of only play certain games? I'm not a gamer. So these might be like ridiculous questions. I'm just curious. Yeah. Some people are shocked that uh, our audience is mostly ladies over 50. 
<laughs> uh, well, I just turned most, 50, so maybe next year. <laughs> for most of our games, it's just, you know, if you, if you walk through a casino, you notice that there's a, there's a lot of ladies playing slots. So that, oh, those, yeah. are, those, are, those are the same kind of ladies that play our games as well. Um, and so people sort of um, split themselves off in between. There, there's, a, there's a hardcore group of people that play slots. There's a people that are dedicated to poker, uh, sports betting, blackjack, you name it. Yeah. Uh, but when it, but they all come together as a community in these things we have called parties. So every player in all of our games has some sort of uh, either a ho hotel suite that they have or some sort of private space where they can invite people over and have a party. And that's where we make most of our money and where a lot of the activity in the game is, is in these hotel suites wow. where people are having parties. Okay, so what's happening at these parties? And I'm super curious if like actual human beings are meeting like spouses and yeah. business partners and like what are stories coming out of Flow Plays communities? So the reason parties came about were, well, they originally started on Our World, Our Kids Game, but for, the, for those, the reason to get together was really just to, to have a party, really just to have fun and get together and, and hang out with your friends. Uh, and it was a way to, to like every, let everybody else know, hey, I'm online, come to my, come to my condo, let, let's have a party. Uh, but when it came to Vegas World, it was, it was really interesting. The, um, we have these things called Lucky Charms, and you can buy them in the game. And when you buy one, everybody in the room with you gets one too. And those lucky charms make you win at all of our games. You win more. Like normally a gambling game, you, you lose about 5% of everything you wager over time. Well, these charms make you win more than 100%, which increases your balance over time. And so if you're in a room with people, you buy a beer, everybody gets that beer, they play for a while, they win, 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 but the beer goes away eventually. So it gets, becomes this virtuous cycle where people continue to buy beers and things so that they continue to win. Well, what the players figured out is if they went to a per person's room, you could cram 25 people in there. And now 25 people got that charm all at once instead of just the five or six that you would normally get. So they thought they were gaming our game by doing this. So they would all pack into a suite and they would they would call out each other's names and say, okay, Bob, buy a beer. Judy, buy a beer. So buy a beer. And they would go round and round and round until everybody had bought a charm. And then they'd go back and, and continue to gamble. And we saw this and we were like, oh my, oh my God, we got to build a product around this. So we we you know made a product around allowing people to purchase these charms at parties, um, made this thing where the more charms you bought. The, the more the more uh, crazy charms and benefits you got as well. Uh, yeah, so that's when and the business it, really started taking off, and we took advantage that's, of that. That's incredible. And so, um, you know, my kids are at the age where they're on Snapchat, and they have like streaks, where the longer they're on, or the more consistent they're in touch with someone, the better. I guess I'm, they're not making money or anything off of it, but. <laughs> um, is there that type of thing in the game where it's like they get rewarded for playing more often? Uh, it's it's we give you bonuses for consistent play. So if you log in every day for you know twenty days, thirty days, but there are people who have logged in for a, a thousand days in a row oh or more. Yeah, uh, yeah. And does it ever um, come up in a criticism way where people are you know some people are like anti gaming because it can be addictive, and so have you ever been approached with someone kind of on the attack? Um. A couple times people have told us, hey, my, my mom is playing your game too much. Uh, she's spending 12 hours a day on your game. Uh, I really need to limit her play. 
And so we'll we'll help people out like that and and, and limit people's play if, if yeah. they feel like it, they're having their, their loved one is having a problem. And even some people have contacted us from time to time, not very many, to say, look, I, I'm I'm not able to control how how long I play your game. Could you please limit me in some way? Oh, so we'll yeah. still do that. It's like yeah. me saying to my husband, like, hide the M&Ms. Yeah, I totally <laughs> <don't know. I'm laughs> like, I have no control with the M&Ms. Like, just put but, them but, somewhere. But to be clear, none of our games require that you spend money to play. None of our games yeah. allow you to win money to play. It's all just for fun. There's no actual money that you win. Right. Yeah, no, of course. Interesting. And so um, most of the story sounds like pretty fairy tale-ish. Obviously that can't be true because all startups have like ebbs and flows oh. of, you know, hardship and times. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the harder times and challenges and, and how you've overcome those as far as, you know, maybe someone's listening who could use some mentorship right now. Like, don't do this, <laughs> avoid that. Um, well, don't, start a company in the middle of the world's biggest recession. <laughs> <laughs> FYI. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe it's a good time, maybe it's a bad time, but we, it, was, it was a struggle. So we, we launched in 2007. Uh, luckily, we raised our first round by December of 2007, uh, but we had anticipated needing to do a follow-on round in the, the next year or two. Uh, yeah. And as you know, in 2008, 2009, that was just a terrible time to yeah, raise money. A, yeah. So in 2009, we actually had to do our, I think what has been our only layoffs in the history of the company. Uh, so we laid off, uh, I think probably 25, 30% of the staff. Um, everybody in the company took a 30% pay cut and Doug and I took no pay for over a year uh, because we were, we, we could see some light at the end of the tunnel uh, but we knew we needed more runway to be able to get there. And yeah. so, um, and when did you do your next round and, um, how much have you raised total to date? Um, well, we never really did another round. We, we just got through what we needed to get through, uh, to get to the point where we broke even and then could start reinvesting and reinvesting and, and grow the company. Uh, so yeah. we only, so we raised 7.2 million in our series A. That's a, I mean, that's big. That's not yeah. nothing. <laughs> it's not nothing. That's not yeah. nothing. Yeah. So I'm sure your but, invest, investors are psyched. They bet on the right horse. But, but I will say one thing we did, which kind of saved the company was uh, we made a, um, a deal with the devil in some ways. We approached a really, really big partner. There's a company called Miniclip, probably not familiar with them, but they're a big deal on internet gaming. Um, and one of the biggest companies in internet gaming at the time. So we approached them and said, if you will put our game on your website, we will split the revenue with you and we'll give you equity in our company. Oh, because because we knew we knew if we could get on their website that it would it would make or break us. And it did. Uh, so we, we gave them a 50 50 rev share. We gave them, I think, like five percent equity in the company in warrants. Wow. And, uh, and uh, but that free traffic is what allowed us to actually, you know, start from start up again, you know, yeah. not have because we didn't have cash to actually invest in marketing. Yeah. And who are your kind of go to's as far as when when you're struggling to make decisions, who do you go to and um, your own personal or professional board of advisors? Yeah, my first stop is Michael Schusler. I'm not sure if you know, yeah, Michael. WTIA, love him. Yeah, so he was my—he was actually my boss, my last boss at Real Networks, mm -hmm. uh, and now he's just a good friend and been on my board since we started. He's also an early investor in the company. 
Yeah. So he's he's an amazing guy. <clears throat> he's he's always my first call. Um, I also have Mike Slade on my board. Yeah. He's an, he's an incredible Avenue. dude. Yep. Yeah. Those are good ones. Those are great go-tos. And when you're making decisions um, in general, I mean, you don't have to deal with like venture capital, really, right? Um, well, Intel was my uh, my venture capital group, yeah. uh, my, my institutional investor, but they were only a board observer. They were never, never actually on the board right. of a small, I mean, small company. Yeah. And how many employees do you have today? About 80 total, about 62 here in Seattle. Yeah. And how has, um, I guess, the last couple of years, I'm guessing uh, it's been good for the business during the pandemic. Great. I mean, everybody's gaming their home. That's what they want to do. Um, How has it been? I know that from day one, you've always been kind of a flexible workplace, more of a hybrid model, which is awesome. Um, I have not heard about that a lot. And so how much has changed for you or not that much because your company and your employees are already used to the autonomy? Yeah, as you pointed out, we were always um, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday company. Excuse me. As you pointed out, we were always a Monday, Wednesday, Friday company. Uh, We worked from home on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So for the whole history of the company for 15 years, that was was always the plan. Come to the office on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We'll have our meetings then, but no meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Just work from home and get your stuff done. Uh, So it was a little easier call for us to make in early March of uh, 2020 to say, you know what, things don't look good. Just don't come to the office for a while and we'll, we'll, we'll ride this out and see how it goes. And we just happened to be in a place where we had a new product that we were working on. Most of the decisions, creative decisions about that product had been made. So we were, it was super easy for us to just go off and just, okay, let's just get this product done. We know what we need to do, we'll build it and we'll meet over Zoom and just it'll just happen. Uh, but I think we've suffered because now I see us needing to do uh, some new products. Uh, and it's harder to do those sort of like collaborative discussion, totally. uh, creative discussions when you're not in a room together. It's it's really, uh, you know, Zoom's more transactional. It's like, yeah. hey, John, what about this? Hey, yeah, can you jump on this? real quick just to talk about this one thing? Yeah, right. Uh, that it's, makes it's, sense. It's, it's harder just to like, you know, think out loud and just go around the room and, you know, mm-hmm. gather ideas and, and whiteboard and all of that. And so do you have an office still or you're hundred percent remote? We do. I said, I go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, still to the office. Uh, it's a 12,000 square foot office. And usually it's me and the CFO and we have a, a you know, a CFO assistant that, uh, that yeah. are there. And have you done some hiring during the pandemic? Do you have new hires who have never been in that flow of coming in? Yeah, we have five people who, who've only been to the office once in July when we thought we were coming back to the office. Yeah. Uh, so for like a two week period, those people got to come in the office and see how much fun we were having. And then we were back to like, okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm guessing you've hired or you're thinking about hiring also outside of Seattle, which most companies are starting to do. And yep. it does create a whole, it's just shifted everything. I mean, as a person who's been in recruiting for almost 30 years, it's, it's just so different now because it's just flat. Every, people can hire talent from everywhere. Um, yeah, which is- Yeah, we've got, it's been a combination for us. We have uh, three people that moved away during the pandemic because they wanted to be closer to family or one guy uh, got married to a woman in Germany. So he moved to Germany. Uh, one guy wanted to move back toward, uh, closer to his family in Missouri with his family. 
Uh, one guy, his wife was from Japan, so she she had a baby, so they moved back to Japan to be close to her family. Uh, so <laughs> pretty yeah. spread out. And then now, when we're hiring, literally we're we're recruiting now, and we've got a candidate who uh, in um, Vancouver, Washington. Yeah, that's a little easier than Japan or Germany as far as working hours. And... We also, one in Hawaii. Um, wow. So if you just said to the people, hey, as long as you're working like, you know, Seattle hours, you can live anywhere. Yeah. Um, well, except for the guy in Japan, he, he we accommodate him a little bit. Uh, but generally, we ask that you be, be around and available from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Seattle yeah. time. Yeah, interesting. And I saw that you wrote an article about the pandemic and how it's changed gaming. Um, can you expand on it? Like, how has gaming changed during this time? I think gaming has filled a lot of the social needs for people that they didn't have access to during the pandemic. I mean, you you know, being able to go online and just feel like you're in the room with other people and feel comfortable about that versus mm -hmm. being in a pandemic situation where you really don't want to be in a room full of people in a crowded room for sure. Uh, and but because people need to, to talk to other people, they need, Absolutely. need to at least feel like they're around other people. Totally. And so a lot of a people are having a hard time even getting back into the swing of that, like social anxiety is at an all time high. And yeah, all of it. And so how are you? I want to go back to recruiting for one second, because <laughs> I, I, there's a question I forgot to ask you about like what makes somebody successful at flow play as far as like traits and how do you screen or vet for that? Well, um, I guess the most important trait we look for is, is somebody that's collaborative, somebody that doesn't consider themselves a rock star uh, <laughs> in, in the sense that they're, they, you know, they, no divas. Yeah. Yeah. No, no divas, no, no big egos. Uh, so that's that's one thing that we that I look for personally, and I'm sort of the last interview, and that's sort of my job in that last interview is to sort of detect for that. Yeah, so like, you, how do I vet for assholes? <laughs> right, exactly. No asshole policy, like, yeah. And and for me, it's really about you know trying to suss out are they a team player? Do they, mm -hmm. do they actually enjoy working on a team? Do they enjoy taking the advice from others and, and coming up with something collaboratively versus where are they really just a, a lone wolf and just like to go do things on their own? Because if that's the case, there might be a couple jobs in our company where that's okay, but for the most part, that's not okay. You, yeah. Well, the worst of that is when they think they are, but they're not. And so their yeah. sense is that they are, or you've got them leading teams, and then they want to be a lone wolf and, and in a vacuum and not transparent um, and collaborative. So that can be tough. Yeah. Interesting. And so what about what about the philosophy around giving back and philanthropy? Is that something that's woven into the culture, or is that top down? Like, hey, this is just a priority for us, for the founders. Or do you engage the whole team in that? We, we engage the team, but I, but I would say it, it came from Doug and I in terms of just, you know, hey, especially once we, you know, it was obvious that we were gonna be successful, that there was no turning back, that we would never need to raise money again. Um, it was, you know, obvious to us that like, okay, you know, we need to give some of this back to the community uh, mm -hmm. in, in some way. And, and part of it came from world events. The, the first time we ever um, did a fundraiser inside of uh, our world was the um, the Japanese tsunami. Uh, so, you know, those world events sort of made us say, hey, you know, we could use the game to do something cool here for the mm. people that are, that are you know, um, been rendered homeless by the tsunami in Japan. And so that's what kicked it off really was like world events. Um, 
we raised, we sold sheep inside of our world. You could have a pet sheep, and then we would actually pay for real sheep for people in Africa. That's amazing. <laughs> and who's, how do you come up with these ideas? I mean, it's, it's obvious that it's just kind of a part of you being a person of the world and being a generous human, mm -hmm. but then like translating that to like executing through the business and bringing in the community. I love that. Yeah, what it, what it eventually became was um, since we started doing these things based on world events, but we realized like, hey, let's let's really, um, you know, let's really codify this. Let's make it a, a thing that we uh, sort of make some true decisions around. So we polled our community, uh, all the players. Uh, we polled our, our employees, like what are the kinds of foundations, what are the kind of charities that, that you would be interested in supporting? Uh, and so the big one that came up for us was was cancer in our uh, yeah. in our in our ladies over fifty, and so I actually we we did a couple um, fundraisers for cancer through the American Cancer Foundation American Cancer Association sorry, um, and because of that I got on their radar and they like contacted me and said hey you're doing a great job uh, <laughs> how'd you like to work with us on a, on a different level so I became the chairperson. I saw that. I know you've got you got your hands on all sorts of different things. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So so you've raised over. I read over four hundred thousand dollars, right? For for cancer, yes. Yeah, it's amazing. And so, is it something that like do, do the team members, um, as far as your employees, all subscribe to this as far as how they live, and is that an important value for the company? As far as you know, do you give them a day off to? volunteer to give back or is it just I feel good about this because I think a lot of especially millennials and and people in their 20s and 30s um when they're looking at jobs want a feel good aspect to the companies that they're joining yeah there's a there's a particular event that's actually coming up next month it's called fit to be it's fit to be free uh that the American Cancer Society runs uh and what it is is people walk um, and they have their phone measuring how many steps they do. Mm -hmm. And they, they then they raise money based on the number of steps they do. And I, I suggested it to the company and I was sort of like, well, we'll see what people think. Maybe they'll do it, maybe they won't. And it was incredible. Like we had half the company doing it and they were super competitive because um, they had these leaderboards that yeah, show yeah. who's doing the most steps. How many steps the are they fun. getting? Oh, I think our top person, I was, I was going to, uh, we were going to donate $10 per mile. Uh, and I think our top person did over a hundred miles in the, in the couple of weeks that, um, oh that we were gosh. running. Yeah. They were just walking everywhere. But. Yeah. It's super smart. Once you start to get intentional and pay attention, I do about, um, if I don't pay attention, it could literally be like three or 4,000 steps, which is ridiculously sad. But mm -hmm. yesterday was, uh, a woman that I was supposed to have a meeting with was like, let's move our bodies and let's walk. And I was like, oh, yeah, I hit 10,000 steps. <laughs> but there's yeah, people yeah. who do 20 and 30,000 steps like every day. And it's so healthy for you. It's like, why not do a, a business meeting and take a walk? Which no, is, I know, a big thing during the pandemic. People would, you know, walk and talk. Um, yeah. So, okay. The big news. So tell me about this acquisition, Wind yes. Creek Hospitality. Was that, were you in talks with them for a long time? And was that always the plan? I'm super curious how that came to be. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I mean, it was kind of always the plan that we, you know, as entrepreneurs want an exit, right? That's what your your investors want. That's why they invest in the company. And for you, it's, it's a great thing. So yeah, you start a company with the, with the idea that someday there'll be an exit for you. Uh, and we had been through a couple different uh, processes with bankers. 
And we did meet the Wind Creek team probably seven years ago as part of that process. But at the time, you know, we were, we were eking out, um, you know, a couple million dollars in profit. Uh, and so we weren't that interesting to them yet. And so probably, probably two, three years ago, we sort of decided, you know, let, this might not happen. So let's just start thinking about what that might look like uh, if we just pay dividends to our, our, our uh, investors and we do some profit sharing with the employees and this just becomes a lifestyle business, a good lifestyle business, but you know, just a lifestyle business. Uh, <laughs> but just about the time we started making that plan and getting things ready, um, the Wind Creek guys came back to us with, with interest because now we were had gone from a couple million dollar EBITDA company to you know a, a 12 and 15 million dollar EBITDA company. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize those numbers. That's amazing. So they're psyched. And then it's probably just going up, up, up through the pandemic. Yes. Well, the, the, the pandemic was what, one of the things that pushed us into that territory. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's incredible. And so I'm guessing that that doesn't change a person like you who's super rooted and grounded, but it's got to feel good to just be able to kind of take a deep breath and be like, okay, these years of hard work and passion have paid off and paid off for the employees and the investors. Um, are you guys operating still solely kind of on your own? Yes. Yeah. We're a subsidiary of them now, but we're still called Flowplay. Uh, our paychecks still say Flowplay on them. We still all work for Flowplay. Um, and, the, and the idea is that we'll continue to operate individually and, and maybe have another liquidity event. Maybe we'll take it public at some point. Um, yeah. maybe, maybe we'll you know, combine with other, other corporations to make an even bigger company. It's super exciting. And are you working the same or has it changed because now you feel like you have like subconsciously like a boss <laughs> or you don't? No, it's everything's pretty much the same. I have a call with them every Friday for half an hour, just to check yeah. in. Uh, yeah. and, that's, and so that's about all there is really. I mean, their mantra to us every time I talk to them is like, just, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, just it's keep, working. Just, just, just make it successful. Uh, you know, yeah. if, if we can help you out. If you can help us out, great. But uh, just, just keep running the business and doing what you're doing. That's amazing. And so for you personally, outside of... Um, your backpacking trips and playing guitar. How are you finding time to relax and unwind and kind of pay attention to your mental health given kind of the world that we're living in? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get back out there. So I, I went to Mardi Gras three weeks ago. Nice. Uh, so, so that was fun. Uh, I'm going to Palm Springs next week. So I'm actually trying to do a little bit of traveling again, just to sort of like, you know, get back to normal, get back totally. out there. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you, have you ever heard of the Camino de Santiago? Uh, it's a um, walk, it's a walk across Northern Spain. Oh, I have heard of this. Are you doing that? I'm doing it at the end of May and the early June. And how far is that walk? Well, I'm only going to do a hundred miles of it. Uh, I'm doing it only a hundred miles. I did a 60 mile breast cancer <laughs> walk and it, my feet were like <laughs> covered in blisters. That's a lot of walking. <laughs> So how long is it, are you going to do this hundred mile walk? How many days? Five days. What do you mean five days? Yeah. Have you lost your mind? hundred <laughs> miles in five days? What kind of shoes the, are you wearing? Uh, no, get this. The guy I'm joining, he will have done 400 miles when he joins me. Oh my God. I need to change my perspective <laughs> because I'm like exhausted thinking about it. That's amazing. And so how many people do this? Is it like an organized, this is the time of year we do it, or you can just do it on your own, or how does this work? 
It goes year round, and I think I think the numbers are about a quarter million people. If wow. I that correct, do it every year. There's a whole. I mean, it's been going on for a thousand years, right? It's it's ancient. I need. I want to do that. That's a good. Do you have? Do you keep a kind of like bucket list? Sounds a little morbid, but do you keep a like? These are the things I want to do every year. A little of this, a little of that. Oh, I, I totally have a bucket list. Yeah, Machu Picchu is on my bucket list. Uh, I want to go to the um, um, the Everest base camp uh, in Nepal. Um, yeah, there, there's there's all kinds of stuff like that. You got all sorts of things going, all sorts of things going on. And is there a time that you feel most? I'm guessing it's maybe when you're backpacking, but I'm just curious, like when you feel most in your flow or at peace. <laughs> Uh, in the in the outdoors is when I'm most at peace, probably. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm super lucky. I live on a lake, uh, so I can look out my window and all I see is water and a little bit of trees and across that's the way. That's super peaceful, yeah. So that that's that's super peaceful to wake up to every day. Yeah. So I, I, so I, I get I get to feel like I'm in the outdoors every day anyway, uh, even when I'm not hiking or, or backpacking. Yeah, and you are a father. You have grown children. Yep. How many kids do you have? Two. Too. Well, and are, are either one of them like you? Have they followed in your footsteps in either the gaming well, or creativity? Yeah, they're, they're both kind of like me, but in opposite ways, because I'm sort of like this, this nerdy tech guy, but also this creative guy. So my son is the nerdy tech guy. He's a, an engineer at Microsoft. And my daughter is getting her master's degree in music. Um, oh, wow. From Berkeley School of Music in, in Valencia, Spain. How cool is that? Yeah. And what, um, what does she play? Uh, she plays bass guitar, but mostly her interests are in, in being a music producer. So she goes into the studio and um, mixes the music and, and kind of figures out, okay, well, this is the song, but to totally make this song, let, let's put some keyboard here or put some horns here. And yeah, you know, she does, does the sort of the arrangement. Cool. How yeah. nice to have that you know, as a common interest for the two of you to share, father, daughter, I love that. But funny story for you. So we're in the car one day and we're discussing with Grace, who's two years younger than Trevor and Trevor's already started college as a in computer science. And we're discussing with Grace, what do you, what, what do you want to major in? She's like, well, I got my, on this really cool music program. And I'm like, well, that's cool. And my son turns to us and says, wait, nobody ever told me I could go study music. <laughs> He's like, computer science, no, let's go music. Oh, that's awesome. Um, well, my final question for you is what fuels you? But before you answer it, I just have to say that like all the guests that I have on the podcast are amazing, but certain ones I leave and I feel like super energized by all the things I want to do. And so I do need your bucket list because I feel very inspired by all the different and the variety of things that you're doing as far as a fulfilled life. And so um, I'm sure that our listeners are going to agree with me. It's just been super fun to have you on. So what fuels you, Derek? What's your ultimate fuel? Uh, what fuels me is learning. So I, I have lots of different hobbies and lots of activities I'm involved in. But what I discovered was what I like best about all of them is learning something new. So I make my own charcuterie. So I do Italian salamis and all kinds of things. But I never make the same one twice because after I make one and I perfect it, I'm like, okay. I, I made an amazing prosciutto. So now I know how to make prosciutto. Wait, what, you what? actually make it, make it? Yeah, yeah. So you just dry it and like... Yeah, wow. I take, a, I take the 25-pound the leg of a hog and I wrap it in salt for a month. And then I hang it in a special chamber I built for 18 months. And after 18 months, it's prosciutto. 
Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I did go to interview um, with a company once who was interviewing us to hire us to recruit for them. And they said, you know, curiosity and learning is like a huge value for us. And they interviewed a candidate who they were like, meh. And then on the way out, the CEO asked him about um, like what he likes to do for fun. And he started saying that he's, he's um, like making his own beer. And, and he got really like light. He lit up when he was telling the CEO and he was like, it's fine. I can teach him some of the technology gaps. He was like, I just love his passion and interest and learning and, and curiosity. And then he got into all these other interests. And I just love that. Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah, I got to have a um, charcuterie plate with you awesome. <laughs> and listen to you jam out. So fun <laughs> to have you on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Well, happy to be here. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.